Well, this has been a great number of weeks that we've been together talking about what it means to have like this conversation together, right? This series we're calling Family Matters, where we sit down and we're just having a serious conversation of what it means to be followers of Jesus, be the church. You know, we talk about the idea that Jesus makes us one, you know, that we are one kingdom, we are part of his family, that we are the dwelling place of God. And we got to treat each other as believers with those things being true and in our minds. We need to love each other, right? Like active goodwill towards each other. We need to have this heartfelt affection towards one another, the filial love towards one another. And we got to forgive. And we got to forgive the way Jesus forgives, not the way we prefer to give. And we wrestled with that question of what if Jesus forgave the way we did? And then continuing on, last week we talked about the idea of what it means to serve and to consider others and, and, and to make sure that, that we're not just seeking to be served, that that are not even just talking about the idea of being served or, or serving rather, you know, the idea that we need to be hearers of the word, not just doers of the word. And, you know, look at what James had to say on that topic. Today, we're going to wrap this up with something that I actually think uh, packages it all together nicely. And it's this idea of what it means to practice humility, that we have a humble practice as people who are part of this family, right? As Peter part of this part of this family, we recognize we're one. We're going to love each other. We're going to forgive each other. We're going to serve each other. And we're going to be humble with each other. If you get your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're going to be talking about uh, John the Baptist. That's a different John than, than the title of this book that we got here. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who uh, is talked about as having the spirit of Elijah on him. He is the one who goes before Jesus and prepares the way for Jesus. He's the voice crying out in the wilderness. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verse 27 to 30 is what I'm going to read today. If you don't know where the book of John is in the beginning of your Bible, you got a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there. Just don't be ashamed to use it. And again, it's just one of the ways you can become more familiar with where things are in the Bible. John chapter 3, uh, verse 27 to 30. Here's what it says. To, John, to this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, this is a topic that can be hard for us. This idea of what it means to be people who practice humility with each other, that we would become less so that you can become more, that, that we would desire that attitude within our, uh, Lord, within our relationships, within our homes, within our workplaces. And so Jesus, as we're looking into this, as we're studying your cousin and looking into what it, humility actually looks like in the context of relationship to you, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you today. In your name I pray. Amen. So when I was a kid, there was a song that came out uh, that we, everybody sang it. And it's a ridiculous song to some extent. But the song kind of goes like this. It's like, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. 
when you're perfect in every way. And we would sing this. I don't remember who the, the writer is. It might be like John Denver or one of these old country guys like that. Um, but it's kind of a satirical song, right? Maybe you've heard some people say things like, um, people who think they know everything really ruin it for those of us who do. Or you might be like Ted Turner. Maybe you've heard something like this. Ted Turner is the guy who, uh, he was the founder of CNN and he's lots of fingers that he's got into different kinds of pies and, and business world. Uh, this guy is, a, is an avid entrepreneur, but he created CNN. And he seemed to fit the bill when he says this. He says, if I only had a little humility, I'd be perfect. And so the statement itself, you know, it, it ruins it. it. Humility stems from our understanding of who God is and who we are. Like that's actually where it comes from. And so people who think very highly of themselves at the expense of other, others often don't have a true understanding of self or a true understanding of God. John the Baptist, though, this is a guy who clearly understood God's sovereignty. The fact that God was the one in charge of everything, who Jesus is and, and who he was. He didn't have some inflated view of himself. He wasn't out to just build up his self-esteem or promote his ministry or reputation. He wasn't trying to sell his latest book or any of these other kinds of things that were self-promotion. His aim was to exalt Jesus. And that needs to be our aim too. When we talk about what it means to be part of the family, our aim needs to be to exalt Jesus. And John shows us how in a very real and practical way because he was encountering some stuff here um, that I imagine would have been pretty tough for anybody who was watching that didn't understand what was taking place. So it starts with understanding who God is. And we see both with his reference to John's view, with reference to John's view of the Father and his view of Jesus. We see in, in verse 27, right? That humility stands from understanding that God is absolutely sovereign. Verse 27, right? John replies to his disciples and he says, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. That we get nothing that hasn't been given to us from heaven. And this applies to all spiritual matters, including salvation. Like we don't, we, we can't even get salvation apart from that gift that comes from heaven. And Jesus emphasizes this, that no one can come to me unless the Father, unless it's been granted to them by the Father. And so here we got this special reference um, to our ministries and the relative fruitlessness of those ministries apart from Christ. He's saying that his role as the forerunner was given to him by God. And so he had a role to play. This is the role he was going to play. He wasn't going to deviate from that role. This was his mandate. His words also apply to Jesus. Any popularity or success that he enjoyed in ministry, it came from the Father. Jesus had said himself, I only do the will of my Father. I only speak the words from my Father. So humility stems from understanding who God is. Humility also stems from understanding that Jesus is Lord. Verse 28 and 29. You yourselves can testify that I am not the Messiah. I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride 
belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy, that joy is mine and it is now complete. John understands and he uses this illustration of the wedding, which is a, specifically from a Jewish wedding, which would be a very common uh, understanding for people to have, right? Like they, this notion that, that this friend waits for the bridegroom, they attend to the bridegroom, right? He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He knows he's here. He's about to get married. This is a celebration taking place. And he says that this joy is his. John knew that Jesus was this promised bridegroom and that he himself wasn't. Now, this is important. John knew that though he had a following, though he had people who were his disciples, though he had people coming after him to hear from him, he was not the bridegroom. And he knew it. And he didn't let his current ministry go to his head where he would start to act like he was the bridegroom. And that bride belongs to the bridegroom. John's role was that of the friend of the bridegroom, right? Like he's the best man. His role was to take the bride to the groom and then to get out of the way. The focus of the wedding was not on the best man, but on the bridegroom and the bride. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to as a bridegroom. Uh, or a husband, right? Like in Israel is his bride. For example, Isaiah 40, uh, sorry, 54 verse 5, the Lord tells Israel, for your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 62 verse 5 declares, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Hosea chapter 2 verse 16, the Lord tells Israel that in the future, they will call the Lord, ready? My husband. And he promises in Hosea 2.19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will marry you to me can, you know, forever. And Jesus used this analogy of himself. So you have this Old Testament analogy of God being the bridegroom, Israel being the bride. Jesus uses this analogy of himself when he, when, uh, he explained to some of John's disciples why Jesus' disciples did not fast. He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And so you have this same analogy carrying over into the New Testament epistles, where Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. You got 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Ephesians 5, verses um, 25 to 27, you've got Revelation 19, 7, Revelation 21, 2, Revelation 22, 17. And so if God is the bridegroom in the Old Testament and John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus as Israel's bridegroom here, then there's this affirmation that Jesus is in fact God and that Jesus himself calls himself God. The clearer our vision of his greatness and power and glory, the more we will be humbled in His presence. Like if we come into the presence of God, whether by getting into His Word or prayer or worship, and we're not humbled, like we don't marvel at His glory, then our, our vision is probably a little bit blurred. 
But the greater the vision we have of His greatness, of His glory, of His majesty, the more we're going to be humbled by His presence. Number two, so not only do we need to have a proper understanding of who God is, right? There's an understanding of who we are in God's presence. So in our text, we see that John was clear about who he was in the presence of Christ. There's this humility that stems from understanding that I am not the Christ. And people were wondering if John was the Christ. It was a question that was asked regularly. And he absolutely denied that he was. I am not the Christ. Now he reminds his disciples of what he's repeatedly said in chapter 3, verse 28. I have told you, he's basically saying, that I am not the Christ. In chapter 1, verse 20, he says that he isn't. In chapter 3, 28, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And so you may think, well, you know what, there's not a lot of danger that, that I'm going to start thinking that I'm the Christ. But one of the most basic lessons that I, I think we all need to come to grips with, you've heard me pray this, God is God and I am not. And there are times in life that we live as if we are. When things don't go the way I prefer, I kind of act like my own God there, right? I have to learn how to bow and acknowledge, like, God, you are God, and I am not. And so this thing that just took place that I don't prefer, this thing that I don't like, it, it ruffles my feathers, so to speak, right? Like, it's like, God, like, you're God. You know what's happening. You are sovereign over all things, not me. You know better than I do. Humility stems from understanding that everything I am and have has been entrusted in me by God to be used for His glory. And this lesson stems from John's comment in John chapter 3, verse 27, where he says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So John recognizes his unique role. And let's not kid ourselves. John had an incredibly unique role. He served as the one who heralded the coming of the Messiah. It was a role in history, not something that he had achieved in his own brilliance or hard work. God had graciously given it to him so that he could point people to Jesus. That's it. That's the point here. God's gifted him. God put him in a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain people to point those people to Jesus. It had everything to do with God's sovereign, gracious purpose for John. Very little to actually do with John himself. The Apostle Paul reminded the arrogant Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4-7, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you've not received it? In other words, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? And why would you boast about something in such a way as if it hadn't been given to you. Like, you didn't earn any of this. You have nothing. When Pilate was dealing with Jesus, he's frustrated that Jesus wouldn't answer him. And and so he told Jesus that he had the authority to either release him or to crucify him. Jesus replied in John 19, 11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been, not been given it to you from above. In other words, like, so had you've got nothing over me except that which is given to you from my Father. No authority over me except what was given to you by my Father. 
has such an important lesson to keep in mind. All my gifts, my abilities, my opportunities, they come from God by grace alone. Like these are gifts. I didn't, it's not about me. It's not about what I can bring to the table. Like I am humbled by what God has given to me. I didn't procure these things on my own. Like everything I have is from God. And John knew that he was the forerunner of the Messiah. Like he knew he wasn't the Messiah. Even though everybody was chasing after him and they were excited about him and they were listening to him and and everybody respected him. Herod himself, King Herod, was uh, somewhat afraid of him. The point is that humility doesn't mean that we slack off or blame our lack of results on God's sovereignty. I mean, that's, that's something that we... We have to be careful of. We've got to seek to use those gifts that He's given us to the fullest and use what He's entrusted to us to the best of our ability, but we give that glory to Him. And so John, preaching the baptism of repentance, gathered disciples and a large following, but he pointed people to Jesus instead of himself. All glory for any results go to Him. Humility is maintained by having a proper definition of success even. Like if we're talking about practical applications of this humility thing, we need a proper definition of success. For for John, his disciples were concerned uh, because numbers of his followers were going down while the numbers of Jesus' followers were going up. And so if this was just a numbers game, John looked like he kind of hit the, you know, the peak and was now failing. He was no longer successful. John didn't seem to be doing anything to correct that situation. He wasn't worried about losing people to Jesus. But when they talked to John about their concerns, he explains that their cause for concern was actually his cause for great joy. John wasn't trying to build a following for John, but rather a following for Jesus. Sometimes, A man's disciples are more zealous for his reputation than he is. On one occasion, uh, when the Spirit came over two young men in the camp of Israel so that they could prophesy, Joshua, who was Moses' helper at the time, his right hand, he goes over and he says in Numbers 11, verse 28 and 29, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that the Lord's people were prophets? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. In other words, man, this is awesome. It would be great if everybody was a prophet of the Lord. A similar thing happened when the Apostle John saw that someone was casting demons out in Jesus' name and they tried to prevent Him because He wasn't part of their group. You catch that? Like He wasn't one of us, and so He's casting people out and demons out in the name of Jesus, but He's not one of us, so we got to go to Jesus, we've got to Fix this. We've got to stop this guy from doing this, right? But Jesus replies to him in Mark 9, 39. Don't hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. In other words, look, if he's doing this stuff in my name, like, we're good. Don't worry about this. The lesson is, in this, like, we're not in competition. John wasn't in competition with Jesus. John surrendered to Jesus. And he surrendered his disciples. The Apostle John 
needed to understand that there was no competition. We need to understand that there is no competition. The competition comes in because we want to win. The lack of humility is about us being raised up and others being lowered. That's not what we're supposed to be about. There needs to be this humility that comes along with us. If they're preaching the gospel and teaching God's word, then we're on the same team. So when you think about other churches, when you think about other ministries, when you think about other pastors, like if they're preaching the God's word faithfully, and they're preaching the gospel, we're on the same team. There's no need for there to be a sense of competition. As a matter of fact, we should get excited about how many they're reaching and how many we're reaching. And we, and we want their ministry to flourish and grow. And they want our ministry to flourish and grow. And we do that locally in our own city. And we do that in our province, our region. We do that in our country. Like we just, we want it to be an explosion all over the place. Instead of competing with each other, we need to humble ourselves enough to recognize that we're in the same work. Jesus gets glorified and we just, push that forward because we want it to be less about us and more about him we can rejoice that the lord's work is prospering even if our work isn't as large as somebody else's work it doesn't matter our responsibility is to be faithful with what the lord has given us to do and humility recognizes that i'm expendable and my role is temporary look if, if we take history classes and in these history classes, we learn about people who did some things way back in the day. Here's what we know. They're not here today. They were temporary. And at the end of the day, for us as believers, our impact needs to be about pointing people to Jesus because Jesus isn't temporary. John, in his motto, you could say his life was lived out with this idea of Jesus, referring to Jesus, that he must increase, but I must decrease. John was fading from view the view as the sun rose in the same sky. John's being expendable was explicit in his comment. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. In uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Chapter 3, verse 24. Um, it says here that John was also baptizing. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, it, it's important to understand that Jesus himself didn't do the baptizing. His disciples did. Now, John was also baptizing at the Aeon uh, near Salim because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and being baptized and then it says, this was before John was put into prison. And then this argument came up about the water and ceremonial washing. And they talked about the comparative between the disciples. John had not yet been thrown into prison. This is this notion of, of being temporary. When you get thrown into prison, it's easy to wonder about God's sovereignty and about your role in his plan. Very easy. It's important to remember that being faithful servant of the Lord does not guarantee this trouble-free life. Sometimes we think that 
God owes us something, right? Lord, I have been a faithful follower of yours for X number of years. I don't deserve this. You owe me. He doesn't owe us. He's given us and granted us the greatest gift possible. He has sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, the creator of all things submitted himself to his creation. He doesn't owe us a thing. And in John's life, he didn't really owe John anything either. And so John, we understand, was put into prison, and, and he has this encounter with Herod where um, ultimately we, we find that, that John gets beheaded and he dies. And John didn't sail off into the sunset and have this, and he lived happily ever after moment. And this is some myth that we seem to buy into, that we believe that God owes us this happily ever after moment. Let me explain this to you. You want your heavily, happily ever after moment? I promise you John experienced it. It's when he died. He ends up in heaven, and he has this happily ever after moment. It's not for here. It shouldn't be what we chase. John the Baptist was the faithful, God-appointed forerunner of the Messiah. But he got thrown into prison. He had his head cut off in his early 30s. Pretty young guy. We tend to read into the story as if he's just this old man, just you know, almost dementia-ridden, coming out of a bush. I was in his 30s. He knew exactly what he was about, exactly what he was doing. And even for me, I think about this. I'm like, God can take me out of the picture or pathway anytime he wants. And his work, that's just going to continue going on as his plan goes. He owes us nothing. And it's our great joy if he uses us in some way to exalt Jesus. Imagine if John had selfishly kept his followers in a bid to glorify himself. I think he actually would have been keeping them from true life. Look, the more we try to point people to us, the less we point them to Jesus. And the less we point them to Jesus, the less likely it is that they're going to have life and have it to the fullest. So let's just cut out the middleman, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And what he's basically saying here is, listen, I'm pursuing Jesus. Come along with me. I'm going to point you to Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. It's, it's not about us. We become less. He becomes more. But if you're wondering what Jesus then does as a reward for these things, we do know that the humble will be exalted. As Christians, we've got to remember that it's not about us. It's about God. And that it's not to say that God doesn't want us to be successful. He wants us to have this abundant life. But it's exactly the opposite of this idea. It's not, it's not that God doesn't want us successful. It's the opposite of that. But he wants these things for us kind of unexpectedly. There's, there's sort of these byproducts that are not our focus. That if they come, they come when we humble ourselves before him. And why? Because God exalts the humble. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. John humbled himself. He stepped aside for Jesus. And look what happened. Here's what Jesus said about John in Matthew 11, verse 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, which, by the way, is everyone, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. 
Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John's ending in life, John's ended up getting his glory. Jesus glorified him. Jesus exalted him. He was called one of the greatest men born of a woman, and he got to go to heaven where he was received with joy, I believe. And I just think that that's just an amazing thing. But it all came because he humbled himself, remembered that in the end, it's all about God, it's all about Jesus and his gospel. And it can be the same with us. When we truly glorify God, we will be exalted in this life, but especially in the next where we are forever changed and we receive with joy from our Heavenly Father. So we'll close with this. If I'm growing in humility, then Jesus is increasing and I am decreasing. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to evaluate what areas of life we have that needs to be less about us. And then just take one step towards making it more about Jesus. And if you're already moving in that direction, I think the one step could be this. Lift someone else up. Let's not make it about us. Let's make it about others. But most importantly, let's make it about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you for this series that we've been able to walk through. And I pray, Lord, that, that we just go back over this and we just keep diving into your word and learning more and more about what it means to be your children, your kingdom, your temple, your um your followers, that we would love, that we would forgive, that we would be, serve, that we would be humble. And in all of these things, Lord, that we would be able to become more and more like you so that it's more about you and less about us. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.